0: When things get a little shaky, it's always good to have an ex-football player, a daredevil stunt driver and an angry ex-cop for the occasion. Oh, and don't forget about the bitter soon-to-be ex-wife. We're closing out 70s disaster season with Earthquake. everyone to the collector's cut i am peter and joining me as always is david barbara take off your pantyhose dammit this is a movie podcast and we work through seasons of movies we are in 70s disaster movie season in fact this is the finale of our second 70s disaster season uh, we are wrapping mm-hmm. up a eight episode streak with earthquake from 1974 so ending on a A slightly bigger one, not as big as Toron Inferno, which we started the season off with, but uh, Mm -hmm. certainly up there in terms of star power, in terms of budget and all that kind of thing. So we're going to get into it. We'll start spoiler free, of course, as we always do. And uh, yeah, we'll get into things. Uh, Just before we do start, though, I'll just say that if you are enjoying the show, hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch if you do. And of course, you can get some bonus shows over at patreon.com slash TV If you want to support the show and keep it all coming, I'll tell you more about that bonus content at the end. But yes, earthquake. The tale's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know uh how 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 I should elaborate on yep. it. Earthquake, the movie about floods. It <laughs> was a brief flood, but it's caused by an earthquake. That's true.
1: The root cause here is earthquakes the whole way around, but it it's one of those things where what was what was the best example of it? There were a couple that we did in the first season where like the actual disaster itself was kind of like, eh, whatever. But then it just triggered this cavalcade of like other things, and that was the problem the whole way through.
0: Yeah, uh, this you know is set in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and it's it's really a lot of the the big stuff here is kind of you know, miniatures of of buildings being destroyed and falling apart and and all the rest of it. Um, which you know doesn't happen to be halfway in. You know the movie does take its time setting up all of its characters and yeah. giving them all some backstory and whatnot. Uh, but of course, um, I don't think it's even spoiling any opinions here to say that it pulls it off a little bit better than say Avalanche, which just ignored everything that it set up <laughs> in the in the aftermath of the disaster. Uh, I
1: mean, yes, but that is such a low bar to clear. Is it even worth? I mean, I admit like it's a low that? bar,
0: but like it's something we did in the past few episodes, uh, so worth worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we'll, 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 yeah, so yeah, Charlie Heston uh, is your kind of your leading man here. He's uh, back after Skyjacked, which we did a little bit earlier in the season. Yeah, uh, we got Ava Gardner who was in. Uh, At least uh, Cassandra Crossing, possibly another one.
1: So, behind the scenes, I've been, I I discarded it because it was too complex and annoying, but I made a little (laughs) like connection chart of all the different stars of all these different 70s movies. She was a central point in that
0: chart. She starred in like four of them. Oh, she was in City on Fire, which we did in the Mm -hmm. first season as well. So, yeah, in a bunch. George Kennedy is kind of next down on the list. Um, I don't think he's appeared in any of these. However, minor, uh, you know, sort of two-step thing here, just mm-hmm. worth mentioning. He would later go on to be in the Naked Gun movies with O.J. Simpson, who has appeared in two other of these disaster movies. So, there you go. you know, there's, there's a whole web here. it's a tangled web. Mm. Um, Nothing quite like your Link
1: being O.J. Simpson. That's, <laughs> that's really something special.
0: Oh, dear. All right, David. Hmm. What did you think of earthquake? I thought it was very well made. I think that
1: they did a really good job with the miniatures and then uh all the like the different after effects and like special effects and stuff like that all really done well. but like I could not bring myself to care about more than like two of these characters <laughs> it, I think I think they stretched the number of characters way too wide and then moved way too slow through maybe, like, two or three of the plots. It just, it, it, basically the first 45 minutes of this movie, like you said, is all characters set up, and I was engaged, I was trying to stay engaged with the characters they were presenting me, but they just kept adding more and more and more, and by the time that the disaster actually hits, we thin out maybe, like, two-thirds of them, and then the rest of them that are there just... I don't know. I just I was only really interested in maybe one or two of them in total. So, I think it looks great, but I, I I couldn't bring
0: myself to care for most of it. That's fair. I think I'm slightly more positive, but I will say the back half has some fun stuff in it and there's uh, I think the initial mm. destruction is really good and then mm. there's a couple of specific set pieces that are caused by after a shocks or something that's there's something and to be fair, You know, we crack jokes sometimes with these disaster movies, how they keep finding new things to have problems with. I think this one doesn't really have that problem too much in that earthquakes make sense. They usually have aftershocks, so one of those is fine. And then Mm -hmm. the one other thing that happens right at the very end, which I won't spoil, is set up right from the start of the movie. Like, they're constantly bringing it up throughout the whole movie as a potential problem. So it's it's well established by the time it happens, so it never just feels like an out-of-nowhere thing.
1: Yeah, I don't think this movie did the going out and finding problems sort of thing. It always felt like a natural progression of, okay, an earthquake happened. These are things that would also be happening. And it yeah. feels like it's a natural progression there. I don't have a problem with any of that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think my, my issue with the second half is more just a structural thing, where mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't feel like it crescendoed to a dramatic point. And maybe part of that is because you don't really care about the characters as much as you would probably want to. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, it, it, it's it, there's a couple of things like some of the, the the side characters who I think are all fine on their own, and one or two have okay sort of beats to have in the second half of the movie. But there's certain groups of characters who never actually you never get to see them reunited, even though I think they all survived. So that was that was a bit strange in a couple of cases, but
1: yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's. <sighs> I don't know. It's it's such a strange thing because uh, by the books, out of everything that we've said over the past two seasons, I should really like this. I should really like the fact that they took their time, they established the characters, they really dove into like what was going on with them. All the special effects and stuff were very well done, but there's just something that I'm, I'm not sure what exactly it is, but I just never quite got that emotional resonance and really cared about the relationships between these characters. And this is in terms of the way that previous movies set up, usually there's like a central focal point character and then all of the character relations kind of branch out from them. Uh This one is the most interconnected, I think out of any movie, like everybody knows everybody independently of the Charlton Heston character or the, like the cop character, but they are still by the time that it gets to the point where we're exploring those dynamics, it doesn't feel like it's ever actually anything substantial there. And I think it's mainly because it's all implied to be before the movie rather than being explored during the movie.
0: They f- yeah, they feel kind of separate, maybe a bit mm. too much. It's particularly in the back half when it feels like, oh, we should be having a lot of these characters working more together. And there's a couple of times where I felt like they were setting up pairings and then those pairings would split apart and never meet each other again. Uh, right. And that sort of like maybe diluted that a little bit. So I, I kind of agree. Like, I think it on paper. It feels like it should be up there with a the Tower of Inferno, but it feels it does feel like a, you know, a solid one step down, if you will, from that. Yeah. Because it just it, some of these things just not clicking together in quite the same way. But it definitely has the spectacle. It has the the bigger budget and the bigger all star cast compa- oh, yeah. compared to some of the smaller ones we've done, which have definitely felt a bit rougher around the edges and.
1: Yeah, this Whatever one else. felt like it was a studio, I don't know about tentpole, but definitely something they sunk a good amount of money into trying to make work.
0: Well, I mean, this is the same year as Towering Inferno, and that was Fox. This is Universal, so it very much feels like this was Universal and trying to rival that with their own movie. Yeah, probably. So. I actually want to see the release dates. I want to see how close together they were
1: mm. released. So United States' release was November 15th for
0: Earthquake. November? Okay, that's later then, than I thought.
1: And then Towering Inferno... If my internet July.
0: decides, I mean that would probably make sense. I'm guessing July. This is before the summer blockbuster season was a thing, though technically. So
1: it was actually December. Oh, so Earthquake got out a month beforehand.
0: <clears throat> they they rushed they rushed to yeah. to completion. Um, actually, um. The effects are, are very good for its time. Obviously it's miniatures and things like that, but it's really mm. good stuff. I will say there is one really weird out of place effect that I want to just point out, and I can say it without spoilers, because it's not really anything bigger related to a serious character or anything like that. During the earthquake itself, when all the chaos is going on, there's like a solid ten minutes of just stuff happening. Yeah. There's a, a a quick bit where there's some people in an elevator and the elevator drops mm. suddenly. And obviously, it's implied that they all die when the elevator hits the bottom. Um, when it lands at the bottom, there's like I can only describe this as a a blood JPEG. Uh, it just kind of zooms onto the screen, and it's like a cartoon kind of thing. I I must have like looked away at that point. Let me um,
1: let's see if I can track that down because I know exactly where the scene is. Yeah, it
0: so. felt so goofy. And then it goes back to you know the relatively realistic looking stuff that they're going for with everything else. So it just mm-hmm. it felt it super stood out to me. I'm like, why did you feel the need to do that? <laughs> why why you wanted the the fake cartoon blood spatter on the camera? It was weird. Oh god, that was awful. Sorry, I just saw it. That yeah. was horrible. Yeah, I,
1: I don't. That feels like an MPAA sort of thing, but I don't know. That seems so weird. Oh, maybe to me. yeah.
0: Maybe they're hiding something. Maybe they like they couldn't get the rating they wanted, so this this was to hide. So I mean, you think yeah. they just cut the shot out? But maybe they like the elevator a bit too much. They didn't want to. So yeah, like, okay, they just had fine. to show
1: like, no, these people are definitely dead. But if we show like liquid blood. It's not going to get us a PG rating. We're going to mm. have to go with R. But if we show a cartoon,
0: well, no. Ha-ha. What I'm saying is, is, they did show the thing that would get them the the extreme rating. That's why it's such an awkward cartoon cover up. Oh well, they only got rated PG. Well, yeah, because this is back in the day when it was PG or R. There's oh, nothing in the middle.
1: Okay, I got you. I I'm, got I'm you. Saying, you're saying they made they covered it. up.
0: Yeah, the like, thing. So got they've it. just this is just, this is literally just covering up whatever was getting them the R rating by just putting I wouldn't on be top. surprised,
1: yeah, because yeah. that would probably be a practical effect.
0: Because that, that's, I think that's why it's such an awkward 2D cartoon that's just placed on top, because if they thought about it while they were shooting, they just would have changed what they were shooting.
1: <laughs> yeah, looking at the shot behind it, it looks like it's just a, basically a still shot of a bunch of like dead bodies. It doesn't yeah. look like they're actually moving at all, but they are covered in blood, so
0: maybe that's it. Yeah, so it, it, it stood yeah. out, because it was such a, you know, everything else feels so... Big budget for its time, and then this just that's literally something that uh, uh, like you know a high schooler might put in their stupid little. I was gonna say, I'm
1: I'm reminded of Windows Movie Maker back in like the XP days, where you just like, oh, set up a zoom shot of this JPEG on the frame. Yeah, no. Although on that point, I do want to bring up one of my major problems I did have with this movie. It was more so in the first half because everyone was just kind of talking with each other about random, you mm. know, going ons about their relationship and stuff. But I felt like there was a major editing issue where the scenes would just stop. It didn't feel like they reached a natural end point. It didn't feel like they were ending on like a zinger of a line or something that says, this is the end of the scene. It just felt like they were talking and then all of a sudden the conversation was done and we just cut over to the next thing and it made it feel and that happened like at least four or five times enough that I noticed it significantly mm. so there was definitely a weird editing thing going on in the background there
0: yeah I wonder if part of that is just that they the kind of maybe maybe had written all the separate character stuff separately and then decided mm-hmm. want to intercut it more so you got maybe a, a slightly weirder feel to the the editing and because yeah. of that you know
1: Maybe maybe they added in an extra plot line or two once the, like, main script had been written, and they're like, oh, well, oh, yeah. we can't fit that in unless we introduce it here. Yeah, so... g-
0: given the ensemble cast and how they're kind of separate for a lot of the movie, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that, you know, a character or two was added in later. Because mm-hmm. they totally could and get away with, Oh yeah, you know, they would only have to maybe do one or two scenes where they interconnect with another character in terms of bringing someone else back. For the most part, it would just be their thing on their own um because mm-hmm. there's definitely one or two characters that feel like they don't do enough with in the second half bizarrely uh because they otherwise do okay with it Um, i'm thinking richard roundtree uh shaft himself uh oh yeah he plays a, a stunt uh like a, a dry, Well, he's, he's like a, a stunt bike he's like an evil Knievel type he's a daredevil yeah, a darede- yeah. there you go daredevil um and i thought oh They're setting this up because he's going to pull off some fancy moves in a building or something, you know, to get to (laughs) someone dangerous to save them or something.
1: I I fully expected the sort of like Jurassic Park Lost World scene where like the little girl is all about gymnastics. Mm. And so she has that scene using it off. I fully expected that where it's like, oh, no, those people across the ravine are about to fall in. If only someone could jump over it on a ramp. And then he just
0: rides (laughs) up on his bike. Yeah, I thought they were going to use it more, and they really don't, which made made me think that they they cut something out, that there was maybe some more with him that they had cut. Maybe they would just want to get, because it is almost exactly two hours. I wonder if they were like, no, this needs to get down to two hours. Obviously, Towering Mm. Inferno did not have that concern, but...
1: I mean, I I, I don't know back in the day. How long did a movie stay in theaters for back in the 70s? Did did they want to have more screening times, even in December when Towering Inferno came out?
0: much longer but um it wasn't necessarily nationwide consistently like a lot of movies Mm -hmm. would do like a rolling release where it would be in like certain states for you know x amount of time and then it would move on to another set of states you wouldn't necessarily get everything on the same same time admittedly i don't know if a big tentpole movie from a studio would still do that kind of thing maybe that maybe that was a case where it would be nationwide the mm-hmm. entire time it was in theaters, but definitely longer. Absolutely. There's no question. It was a little longer. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, this was before home media where yeah. people could expect to see it again. So yeah, there was more reasons to go back and see it. Cause you knew that once it left, that was it until, until it mm-hmm. aired on TV, maybe at some point. Right. So yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I, it does feel like maybe try to get it down to two hours, uh, maybe mm-hmm. cause some, some rough edits, but admittedly, I did I did appreciate that it was only two hours because I could easily see oh, this yeah. ballooning much like Tower and Inferno. I could have seen that two and a half hour cut of this without them breaking a sweat by just drawing out some of the beats and some of the character stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's again, it's that trade-off of would I rather an extra half hour and theoretically I am more endeared to the characters or would I rather it be a bit shorter and they just tell the story as is. And honestly, I think in this case, they did a lot of character work in the first half. I don't think they could have endeared me any more than I was going to be without just rewriting it wholly.
0: So, yeah, that's fair. I think this is as long as it needed to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, as, as far as the cast go, I mean, Charlton Heston is Charlton Heston. I feel like he just plays the same guy in every movie I see him in.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's fair. In fact, he, he's I, I, he's I, kind of a dick. Actually, to that point, I think I feel the same way about Ava Gardner. At least in this like era of her career, because I feel like all these disaster movies she's been, in, she's been the same mm-hmm. kind of unlikable, like, yeah, woman in all of them.
1: I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: She, she, she's like in this one, for example, she is the the wife of Charlton Heston's character. So they're they're Graf and Remy. She's Remy. Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, that like those names aren't obvious to me. Which one's the man and the woman? So, dude,
1: there are. Not even the characters I cared about, but there are only three characters in this movie. After the movie was done, I could have told you their names. And that is Remy, Denise, and Miles. And the only reason Miles is there is because he literally had it printed on a shirt. A shirt
0: with big boobs underneath it. Yes, so you, which is
1: exactly why I paid attention. Yeah,
0: she remembered it well because of that. And there's a mm-hmm. joke related to such the, such a moment.
1: <laughs> joke that goes on for like five minutes. It's insanely long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke that's almost like, what's so funny about that joke is that it's, it's it, obviously it's not as as extreme as this, but it's, it's in the same kind of thinking and like lane as the joke from Borat where he's like, this is my sister. She's number three prostitute in all of Kazakhstan. Yeah. It's kind of a similar joke in a weird way. Much, obviously, much safer than that. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But mm. uh, still, it's funny. We'll, we'll talk about that in spoilers, the, the specifics yeah. of it. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, he or she's the, the, the wife of him, but they have a really unhappy marriage, and she is... I mean, at the start of the movie, it just feels like she is constantly... She literally fakes a suicide attempt in the first five minutes of the movie just to get his sympathy.
1: I mean, we'll talk about it, but that scene threw me for such a loop, man. I was like, what kind of movie am I getting here (laughs) when that's the, like, second scene in the movie?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a strong character moment to start on, because you're like, okay, all right, Mm -hmm. this is not a happy marriage. We can tell that for at least. Um, But i'll put it this way like a lot of the the plot of this movie is that graf heston's character has another love interest that Mm. uh sort of develops over the course of the movie and at no point honestly do i think the audience ever like i don't think the audience ever side with the wife like i think the audience is like yeah no this is healthier for you (laughs) like this other woman's a better choice even though you're technically still married (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that's just clever. That's good writing 101. Is that you set up this character in the first few scenes and you immediately get the audience to pick sides of which one they're on. And then when you see okay, the character that we like is happy with this other person, you immediately like the other person as well. Yeah. So, it's it's good character writing in that regard.
0: Yeah. Um so you got that George Keady plays a cop. Uh he's a sort of tough no-nonsense cop who actually cares a bit catching bad guys. And that's mm-hmm. kind of shown in his opening big scene where he's chasing someone in the car and we get some action shots. Um, I will say this might be the, the movie with the most shots of the Hollywood sign that I've ever seen because... Yeah. Uh, because like, a lot of the characters seem to live in a place where you can see the sign, which I don't know if this is true. I would have assumed that that would be expensive is to have a like a good view of the Hollywood sign. Kind of like how Central Park, if you can see Central Park you know, in New yeah. York, it's a big price increase.
1: I mean, it's. I agree. I think that it probably would be expensive, but at the same time, it's so much like because it's on a hill that's far away from like the city itself. It's actually True. much easier to like see. Yeah. So I don't know wh- how far you would need to go to actually be away from the sign.
0: I, I guess they just all felt very close. Like the movie start after the opening titles. The, the, the mm-hmm. opening shot is Heston jogging in the morning, and he's. It feels like the Hollywood sign is maybe five minutes away from him in the background. It's like yeah. just up the hill behind him. It's shockingly close. And he, to be fair, he is quite wealthy, but a lot of the other characters we see that are kind of living, uh, that are affected, who are nearby it, they, st- they don't seem to be particularly wealthy. They seem to, you know, middle class mm. maybe. But I mean, it strikes me
1: as it's more like where the movie takes place is definitely more downtown LA. It's more of like the mm. city center rather than the posh, like movie star district or anything like
0: that yeah uh, Heston's character is an ex football player he's an ex-athlete uh, mm-hmm. but he's a structural engineer that's what he does and they do actually mention later I, I thought this was a neat thing because I was questioned what he's he's both got this great high skilled job and he was a professional football player but mm-hmm. they do mention later that he got a sports scholarship to do engineering in college and I'm like okay do you know what that's a neat way to explain how he how he's doing both of these things because he got that education whilst he was playing sports so I'm like okay 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 It's not the most ridiculous thing in the world then fair
1: enough I I also kind of like it because I think that they kind of realized as they were writing it they're like okay Charlton Heston is no longer like the youngest guy (laughs) and if we're gonna have him do the sort of things we need him to do we need to explain why he's still in good peak physical condition, which is why the very first thing we see him do in this movie is literally his workout routine.
0: Yes. So. Uh, Something that his wife, Remy, even mocks him for. Oh, you're making your chest bigger as she's like swigging booze in the morning. I, I,
1: I cannot imagine that sort of person. He's just like, oh God, you're so attractive. Jesus.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, as much as you said, like the the writers making his pick aside is good writing and i agree to a point but i also think the way of character is written to be so thoroughly unlikable mm-hmm. is almost like a, like an attack on her personally <laughs>
1: yeah well i think they go so far into that direction of making her unlikable that it actually makes me confused as to how that plot wraps up at the end
0: oh sure yeah yeah we'll get
1: to but like it it doesn't make sense to me
0: yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I have thoughts on that as well. I Because I, I had seen this before, but I didn't really remember that much of it, so it was mostly a fresh viewing. Right. But I did not remember how it ended specifically, and I was like, wait, mm. surely they're about to show us... Oh, wait, no. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Surely,
1: Cred- here's the reveal. No? Credits, credits, credits are rolling?
0: Okay, fair enough. Okay. I guess that's Brilliant. it. I guess that's that's <laughs> what we're doing. Uh, yeah, so... you know, And there's some other characters that we'll mention a bit more prominently as we're talking about the movie. Um yeah. but uh yeah.
1: I think the only like big big name obviously there's a bunch of big names, but the one that it really jumps out at me in such a bit part as well is uh Walter M- I always pronounce this wrong, Mathau Matau, who is just a drunk guy at the bar, but he's a wretched
0: did you notice which recon- credit he does? Uh drunk. No no like Oh
1: no wait, sorry. As Walter what is that? Walter <laughs> Matushenskyaski
0: <laughs> I think the joke is, is that it's is someone drunk trying to say his name. It's harder to say than Mattow. I'll give him that. Because, because, keep in mind, this is not like because you know sometimes like actors like before they got the stage name that stuck. They 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 are in like an old movie where they've got a different mm-hmm. credits like like Larry Fishburne and uh, right. Nightmare on Elm Street three. Um, obviously that's not the case here because he was a big star in the sixties and this is the seventies, yeah. so people know who he is. I think it's just a joke. I think it's just he's playing a drunk, so his name is spelled like a drunk person might try and say it.
1: I guess. That's weird, but all right.
0: Yeah. I I just noticed that when I was looking at IMDb earlier, so I had to bring it up. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I saw that. And then the only other thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of not even um, cast, but production, is that one of the writers on this is Mario Puzo, fresh off of uh, Godfather. Oh,
0: there you go. So, oh, I bet they used that when they were marketing this. Oh, no doubt. The Raider, like, The Godfather, come on.
1: Yep, they were like, oh yeah, you guys love Godfather so much, come on in, this has <laughs> nothing to do with that.
0: Yeah, I actually, I looked up the director and I recognised almost nothing that he'd done. However, funnily enough, he what well, his very first movie back in like the 40s was a film called The Seventh Victim, which I did see just last year. Ah. Uh, so, just a weird... Uh, coincidence that i just happened to see that but uh yeah. very prolific though in the sense that he had like 30 movies to his name director wise mm-hmm. so uh, it definitely looks like i mean this was his second to last one so he was wrapping up yeah yeah or or maybe just the the shoot on this with all these effects were just like too much for this old school director he, he's like oh no okay you know what if this is what movies are going to be i'm out i'm done yep. i'm not doing all but these but i'll do sh-
1: what I'll do one more disaster movie in terms of Avalanche Express, which in fairness, I don't know if that's disaster or it isn't. If it's just using I
0: Because I clicked on it to check because I saw that word Avalanche. It's mm-hmm. about a KG, it's like a thriller on a train with like a KGB ah. agent and stuff. I think it's just called Avalanche Express. I assume because maybe it goes through some snowy mountains. Maybe it's a risk that it may happen. But it didn't yeah. sound like a disaster movie. It's only really more like a thriller. But Fair enough. I did check. I was like, did I miss one? Did I miss a, a 70s disaster movie? <laughs> season three starting next week, guys. <laughs> I mean, there is a couple left to do. Don't get me wrong, but uh, we'll see you in about a year. <laughs>
1: yeah. See, that's the, that's the thing about limiting us to 70s disaster is that there's never going to be more. If we don't have enough to fill that's... out a season, we literally
0: cannot get more. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's enough for one more. <laughs> okay, fair enough. There's one more season, but when that one season is done, like we are, like we have done, we've done the whole thing. We have covered ourselves. It's over. (laughs) All right. So, are we ready for spoilers? I I don't know. Um,
1: John Williams did the score. I didn't notice that. It
0: didn't stand out that much to me. Keep in mind, this is John Williams pre Jaws, Mm -hmm. as in pre everything he ever did with Spielberg. Well, unless he did Duel. I don't know if he did, but uh by Not the sure. way it's uh it, it, it's it,
1: early john williams yeah
0: it it, it doesn't it's, it's pretty forgettable score to be honest mm-hmm. there's nothing particularly special about it which is weird to say about 70s john williams because one year after this jaws came out and everyone can still hum that theme and then yeah. two years after that you've got both close encounters and star wars so uh, you know and then superman's just a couple of years after that so the, the the dude was about to just hit his prime big so this yeah. is just uh this is just a, a little practice run i guess i
1: was gonna say i'm just looking through what he did uh he was the conductor for the film annotation of fiddler on the roof he did poseidon adventure which was did two yep he was two years prior to that he's huh. it's uncredited he wasn't i don't know if he was the official guy but he was in there okay And then not a whole lot more until you get to Earthquake. And then immediately following up with Towering Inferno. Damn, he was busy. I didn't notice he did Towering Inferno. It says Conductor Uncredited. I don't know if he was actually, like, the person who made the score, but he at least was
0: conducting. Yeah, if it's saying Conductor, that makes it sound like he's not the composer to me if it's specifying that.
1: Mm. Well, if we're talking composer, I don't see much of any composers
0: before this. Yeah, because he composed this. He did do this. Mm -hmm. Uh I feel like i noticed John Williams' name in the credits version fair enough if he did, but Yeah. It says uncredited, so probably he wasn't in there. Yeah, okay, fair enough. At least I'm not going mad and it's He
1: he was still just the intern trying to make a name. <laughs> Little Johnny Williams down
0: the hall. He he was in a in the basement just with a couple of violins and like a, a trombone just trying to make it work. He hears his boss coming and he's like, I've got an idea. na and the, yeah, the boss says, "No, I hate it. It'll never work." So he took <laughs> it a few years later to Jaws, and yep, that guy was an idiot. There you go. <laughs> we ex- that's that's the biopic
1: waiting to happen. We just explain all these scores in the way of like how they were inspired by real life events.
0: <laughs> all right, I, I think we'll give the spoiler warning. We'll start talking about the sure. movie. And we'll get into it. Uh, the, the easiest thing to do with this is probably just to break it down into sections. Like, the, you know, the first section is up until the earthquake, basically. And, yeah. you know, and to be fair, they do some decent teasing throughout this. It's not, it's not like there's no sense that there's something's coming because there's so many quakes, of course, which aren't a big deal. But you've got the seismologists talking about it. This guy's like predicting that there's going to be a big one based on the activity. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so they're building up to it. And then the other thing they're doing to set up disaster for later is the dam inspectors and the idea that they're keeping an eye on this dam. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, I've got a funny feeling I know what's going to happen some point in Act 3.
1: <laughs> hey, buddy, what's the name of this dam? Ah, this is Chekhov's dam.
0: <laughs> uh when I was glancing at Wikipedia, I think they called it the Mulholland Dam. So, ah, Well, I mean, if it has an actual name, then we'll go with that. But I'm going to call it Chekhov's Dam. Well, I, I just like that because I like Mulholland Drive at the movie. Oh, so. true. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, to I'm, be fair, probably named for the area. It probably, yeah, it's probably on that road. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, assuming there's really a dam there in that location. I mean, I don't know how much this is just made up for the movie because it might be. Beats me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we're at the era yet where actual buildings would want to have them represented as being destroyed in a movie. I feel like these mm-hmm. days they'd, they'd love that. <laughs> like, turns turns out, now Mulholland Dam is an actual thing. Fair enough. Yep. Fair enough. The
1: dam that forms the Hollywood Reservoir. All right. There you go. We've learned something today. And then they blew it up.
0: <laughs> I've got a funny feeling that was a miniature in the movie. Nah. There.
1: I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually shot some of the scenes on location for, like, walking on top of it, because that seems oh, sure. a bit complicated yeah. to get done, but, yeah, I, I think when they blew it up, you might be right, but <laughs> let me just check the history of the dam real quick to make sure it doesn't say in 1974 we blew it up and rebuilt it.
0: I mean, what do you do with all that water while you're rebuilding the dam? We saw what happened to all that water. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, so... We're interested to Heston and the wife, as we said, we sort of already talked about their thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess just to go into a bit more detail about the whole fake suicide thing, is that she's arguing with him before he leaves. And it it turns out later, actually, where he's going before work is actually to the woman that she suspects he's having an affair with, who it turns Mm -hmm. out he is starting one with, although he's not yet. And I believe him when he says that, that nothing's actually happened as of yet. Clearly, the wife is just picking up on the fact that there's actually an attraction there. That obviously he's not fulfilled in the marriage because they're horrible to each other, um, but she—he comes out the shower and he comes in and he's dressed for work, and she is on the bed, kind of like effectively having like some sort of seizure. And there's an empty bottle of pills, and he he picks up a phone and he's like, Oh, Jim, she's done it again. Phone the ambulance, yeah, he- will you?"
1: I I love that bit, because he picks up the phone, and you expect him to call 911, and then the first thing is just like, hey, my bitch wife just tried to kill herself again, Jim,
0: can you handle that? But I'm like, Jesus. And then the first little earthquake, this is just a tease for later, happens, and when it happens, she gets scared and jumps up out the bed and, like, runs to yeah. him, and he just gives her this look, like, you bitch. <laughs> Do you understand that I just called nine one one for a false crime? <laughs> oh, dear. So, I mean, th- th- this is the point where it's, like, okay, all right. I mean, the audience has has been thoroughly introduced to the devious nature of this person, mm-hmm. and we can we can go from there. Um, yep. But we're introduced to Denise, who's the young woman that he's going to see, and she's got a young son. Uh, there's a bit of backstory here that they do kind of mention briefly uh, when they're at the work talking about various things. But it turns out this this young woman Denise is a widow, and the guy who was her husband was someone that worked with Heston, and Heston mm. felt responsible for his death because he approved a project that led to like where well, this guy was killed. It was it was like a gas main or something went up at a, right. a work site, and the guy died, and he feels responsible, and he's been checking in on the wife for like a year or whatever it's been and seemingly yeah it's obviously there's, there's some flirtation and if you're not sure there's flirtation in their first scene together right because he, he's there to drop off a signed football for the the kid yeah. and he's all very happy about that and she's like oh hey I, you know I've, I've got a a movie part again and this this the implication being that this is the first time she's been working again since her husband died maybe she's taken a year off because she, you know, she's been grieving whatever yeah and she's like oh yeah i've got this movie personally you know it's only a few days and it's only a couple of scenes but i'm excited it makes me feel like you know i can do things again and it's, it's all very nice the scene makes sense and then he sits down because she gives him some coffee and he's like oh is this the script here and she's like yeah would you, would you like to like run some lines with me and so they do a couple of lines and she's explaining the character and mm-hmm. she's explaining the character that he's kind of reading lines for and then out of nowhere she says yeah uh my character's a, a nymphomaniac. And he just the, the look he gives her when she says that, he's got this excitement on his face that I can only describe as just horn dog. Well, well, the, the follow-up line's even
1: better. He's like, oh yeah, my character's a nymphomaniac and the director likes to typecast.
0: <laughs> and then she's like, but don't worry, I'm not actually that bad. Like, I'm no, I'm no saint, but I'm also no mm. nymphomaniac. And then, and then Charlton Heston, at age fifty three, stands up, <laughs> and he's he's yeah, because it's like, almost the male word for a an infomaniac, and they'd say that sale. I think they said seder, seder. That was what. Okay, I'd mm-hmm. never heard that before because my my I was almost practically yelling at the screen, a pervert. <laughs> yep, that's what it is.
1: I think pervert's the gender-neutral term, true, but true, yes. True. Uh, but no, a uh, satyr's Seder, a mythological figure, as is a nympho. That's for like a, a, a wood nymph for, is for, a creature, so a satyr is the I male can't, equivalent.
0: I can't imagine why the media loves to bring up the word nymphomaniac way more than it does the male equivalent. It feels like it comes up a lot, so much so that I would never even have to think about it. If you said, oh, what's the what's a word that describes a woman who's like really into sex? I'd be like, nymphomaniac. Mm. Like, it, it would yeah. just roll right off my tongue. You say, what's the male version of that? Uh, everyone? <laughs> Majority. All of them.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's also because the satyr is like a goat creature as well, so it's nowhere near as pleasant to think about. Ah, yes. Ah, that, ex- um, that explains Tim. Right, hold good. on, hold on, hold on. Let me let okay. me just... Uh, in Greek mythology, satyr also known as a bunch of other stuff, is a male nature spirit with ears and a tail resembling those of a horse, as well as a permanent exaggerated erection.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a Viagra joke in here somewhere, but I'll, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just leave it. Uh, so, anyway, you can't deny that this isn't even flirting, because, like, innocent flirting would be, like, being nice to each other and, like, him being helpful and her being smiley and thanking him and, and so on and stuff like that. This mm-hmm. is straight up, like, we want to talk dirty to each other, but we're just not comfortable just jumping in yet. We're we're, we're testing the boundaries here. Oh,
1: yeah, no, she's doing this whole thing. She's, she says towards the end of the scene that she's running late for a scene, but she is doing this entire thing in just, like, her bathrobe, essentially. Mm. And I was fully waiting for the point where she was going to be like, oh, no, I forgot to wear underwear under this. <laughs> like, it's 100%. It just seems like they're about to get it on. Because like, they even send the kid off as soon as uh, Charles and Heston gets there. It's just like, all right, you need to go to school. Bye. And then it's just them alone in the house. And I'm like, all right, well, we know what's happening here.
0: Yes. By now he he goes off to work. It's, it's mm. all on the up and up. Uh, it turns out that his boss is his father-in-law, which makes this whole thing a bit awkward, one might say. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So. I mean, as long as he keeps on the down low until the divorce goes through. Well, that's the thing. The father-in-law seems to have an understanding that the marriage isn't that great. And one of the big plot points in the first half is that the wife, Remy, goes to her father and says, give him a promotion so that he'll, like, stay. Because it, as it currently stands, he's actually going to, like, I think it was Oregon for, like, yeah. the summer to do a project. He's going to, like, be on site working and doing stuff. Um, And she wants to try and, like, keep him around. So she's like, no, make him president. And that way he has to stay here. And... The, and I don't
1: know if she was aware of it, but uh Heston also tried to get Denise to come with him to Oregon.
0: That was uh, after they have sex. So the next time mm. uh, she... Denise comes to his office as, as Heston's going out for lunch, and they bump into each other. She says she's there to see a woman who works there, uh, but then he's like, oh, I need a drink. Do you want to have a drink with me? And, you know, cut to, like, them at her place, and... Uh... That's that's the,
1: that's the scene I was... That was, like, number three of, like, the awkward cut where it's just like, oh, well, would you like to have a drink? Hard cut. And she's, like, turning around and be like, when we just made love there,
0: <laughs> and I'm like, it was, I'm, I blinked, something happened, what? Hey, it's entirely possible that much like the blood are covering up some violence, maybe they had to cut out like an actual sex scene. I highly doubt that, but yes, I guess it's possible. I mean, I'm not saying a super raunchy one, but just, you know, like just something, like some kissing on the bed, something that implied more directly. It... It
1: felt more to me like there was supposed to be a scene in between there where they cut to a different subplot Mm. and then they come back to it. But instead they just continue straightforward, which made it feel like, you know how if you do a a cut on the exact same shot, it feels awkward? Yeah, yeah. Even if, like, it felt like that, where it felt like the plot should have cut away for a bit and come back, but instead we just keep
0: going. Uh, It felt weird not to, like, see the start of it, though, like a kiss that led into it. Mm -hmm. It just kind of cuts to them, like, already kind of dressed after they've done the deed. Yeah. And that's when he says, "Hey, why don't you and you know your son come with me to Oregon for the summer? You know, I'll rent a house for both of you, and we can we can spend the summer together." And it's all very sweet. And she's like, "I'll think about it." Blah blah blah. Okay, all very fine. Uh, and then he gets the job offer back at work, and he's he's like, "Yeah, of course, I'll take the president job." And then the father-in-law is like, "Ah, means you don't have to do that stupid job in Oregon. You can stay here." And he's like, "Oh, wait a minute now. Can I think about this?" And he's like, I guess... A raise in prestige. Dadass. ass. Hmm. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, and he even says, like, you know, my my wife doesn't have anything to do with me getting this promotion, right? He's like, no, no, of course not. You're you're, you're a great man for the job. Like, it's perfect. Mm. But, of course, it's, like, five minutes later where the wife shows up at his work and comes into, like, the, the father-in-law's office and then he walks in and she's like oh did you did you did he did take the job yet and he basically accuses her of this being like another bribe and that's all their marriage has been is that she just bribes him with things and yeah. that he's finally turning them down he's like no no, no i want you to actually be happy and not just be paid off to stick around in a loveless affair so mm-hmm. yeah you know, that's basically their whole plot for the first chunk of the movie uh yep. i don't feel like I've, I've glossed over anything nah pretty nah. much
1: everything um so I'd say the second most important one would then be the police officer.
0: Yeah, this is George Kennedy, uh, his character. He is chasing a car thief who we don't find this out till after, <laughs> but yeah. apparently this car thief murdered a little girl by driving into her and just keep it just kept going, didn't even stop to give a shit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I actually think that's good to do that because this initial scene, as we showed the car chase, they keep on having little comedic bits where it's like mm. he's taking corners too wide and he's like clipping other people's cars and his partner's like, geez, man, we're going to get that out of our paycheck. And it's like, OK, I, I guess it's a funny enough scene. And then the entire sequence wraps up as they corner the guy in a lawn and he jumps over some hedges and apparently they crossed over the county line. So now they're in like the sheriff's territory. So the sheriff comes up and is just like, "We told you, cops, to stay out of our jurisdiction. Don't you know whose hedge that is? That's Jaja Gabor." And then the slave just turns around, punches the county cop in the face, and
0: that's the end of that sequence. Which gets him suspended. But when he's in the office with his with these, you know, captain or whoever. Mm-hmm. He does make it clear the reason why he's like no 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 I was chasing this guy who just killed a little girl and he almost got away because some asshole was more concerned about a hedge and it, much like with the husband uh, character immediately you're on his side you're like okay you yeah. know what yeah screw screw this state tripper <laughs> like yeah absolutely that, this is yeah he's right like the, you know it's the, it's because it's not like he was. It'd be one thing if he was doing that thing that some movie cops do where they're breaking the rules by, like, beating people up and it's like, oh, mm. excessive force and we're supposed to accept this because it's a movie. He is not actually, like, other than maybe, like, ruin a few mailboxes, he's, he's just... <laughs> yeah. He's just trying to get the bad guy.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it basically comes down to the captain or whoever basically says, look, you punched that guy in the face. We're going to have to suspend you, like, for a little bit. We're on your side here. We know you did it for the right reasons, but yeah, you you've got a temper on you, man. You got to tone that down.
0: Yeah, so he goes to a bar and he does meet some of the other characters there. Otherwise, though, that's just he's just at the bar until the earthquake starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the characters he interacts with, which we have to talk about because it's actually kind of kind of a funny scene. Um, yes. It's the Miles character played by Richard Roundtree, the Daredevil, and mm-hmm. his like manager or I'd say manager, crewman or yeah, whoever coordinator is. or something like that. And then that guy's sister, right? So just to get some names here. So the sister is Rosa, I think. Um, that sounds right. And oh, I don't know what the other guy's name is, though. See, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the problem I was having throughout this. All the photos in, in IMDb are all of old men and women. I, none of them look <laughs> like they are in the movie. It's hard to tell.
1: <laughs> all right, hold on. To the chase them out manager, jurisdiction, Denise, junior staffer. God damn it. Where's this Miles plot in the synopsis? there's so like again it just goes on for so long there are so many plots going on all right here we go arrives with his partner sal
0: amici sal okay come sal that's fine uh so they they come in and there's like a, a, a weird bit here where like there's the, guys playing pool and gambling in the background and like they have a lot of weird antics in the background actually where they're getting into fights with each other because they're disagreeing. Like there's a little earthquake at one point when one of them's taking a shot and the guys mm-hmm. like oh that one didn't that shot didn't count because there was a little earthquake. He's like no 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 there's no rules in here about earthquakes and they end up having a fist fight and it's just a jokey moment that's like oh like it's not until the cop actually turns around to care that there's a cop in the bar and they just kind of right. sort of pause. And wait for them to leave before they resume punching each other. It, it's like a weird little gag, yeah. but when Miles and his his uh, partner Sal and Sal's sister Ro- uh, Rosa come in, mm-hmm. the guys at the pool table like was like, "Hey, Miles, us money." And he doesn't really want to give it over, but he does. And he's like, oh shit, we, we need money for, for the bike to do the stunts. We, you know, mm. I've really got, I'm, I'm 10 some mass, man? So he asked George Kennedy, the cop, he's like, hey, hey, c- c- please, man. And they know each other. It's not like he's a stranger. He, he knows them. He's already calling them yeah. by name and stuff. Apparently,
1: like, George Kennedy, like, arrested him years back, and they've just been buddy-buddy ever since.
0: So he's like, hey, come on, just get loan me 10. I'll give it back to you tomorrow. Like, I just we, we need it, right? It's important. And... He kind of tries to say no. And then the conversation shifts to, Oh, Hey, we're, we're making a big effort with this show. We've got a guy from Vegas coming in. It's like a, you know, to sort of addition us and we're going to get Mm -hmm. this bigger, bigger uh, platform. And to go along with this, we've got branding. We've even got t-shirts. Hey, show, show your t-shirt. And Rosa opens her coat and she's not wearing a bra. It's just this tight t-shirt on her. Yeah. Right. And George Kennedy's just staring. And as he's staring, he just keeps handing dollar bills <laughs> to Richard Rowntree. And Richard is just sort like, of staring back and then counting his money as he does it. And he's, yeah. it's, it is slightly amusing. It's a really sort of weird, like. Yeah, it
1: pervy feels like joke, a joke that would come but... out
0: of, like, the Naked Gun franchise or something. It, d- it, d- it feels
1: like that kind of humor.
0: And this is before that, which is yeah. funny, actually. It, it does mm-hmm. feel like a Naked Gun joke. Um, th- this was actually also here is where. Um, they're, they're talking about how they need rosa there because uh, and it's sal that says this oh yeah like hey if you've got a show like this you need at least one hot babe standing around to you know give it some sex appeal and then yeah. rosa looks at him and goes i'm your sister <laughs> and i actually thought that was quite funny <laughs> oh yeah
1: i i especially love the follow-up where she suggests some other woman and he's like yeah well she's got a flat
0: chest and then rosa's like got me there guess i'm in <laughs> Uh, which is why I was saying earlier, it's you know, it's kind of along the lines of the Borat sister joke because mm-hmm. he's just basically saying, "Yeah, my sister's hot; she's got big boobs, so we're going to use her in this capacity."
1: Yeah, I don't think it's ever pushed into like the weird
0: area unless no. you think about it for too long. Yeah, it is like it's a quick snipe of a little joke, and then mm-hmm. we move on. It just makes Sal feel more sleazy, as in like he's sure. willing to sell out his own sister. For that but yes sounds like uh, that much of a character though we, no he's, he's not he's just kind of around for a couple mm-hmm. of bits so talking about
1: rosa though let's talk about this grocery store that we see every once in a oh, while
0: right. okay so i actually it took me a second to realize this was rosa because this was such a different setting i didn't get that this was like one of the other characters from another mm-hmm. scene that came into it but yeah it's rosa's buying some stuff which doesn't tie into anything she's doing with the other characters nope, in our plot. Just grocery her, shopping her in general. But she's grocery shopping somewhere in this day. And she gets to the, the, the checkout. And I, I guess this is also feeding into the fact that the three of them as a, as a trio don't have any money left. But they mm. she goes to pay for her groceries. The cashier says, you know, 22, 70, whatever. And she's like, oh, crap, I don't have quite enough. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll put the stuff back. And mm. the supervisor right at the store who's got this mustache and kind of big blonde curly hair but he's kind yep. of skinny right uh for, for those at home who've not seen the movie i th- th- think david but with a mustache and like blonde curly hair right
1: <laughs> i don't like the implication because of where the character ends up Pete.
0: <laughs> that's fair that's fair anyway <laughs> i can see your point <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, he comes over and he, he you know he, he's like oh that's okay honey you can just you know bring us in next time you're in and she's like oh thank you and obviously it's a nice gesture but it, it's kind of obvious he's only doing it because he thinks she's hot so there's just a slight yeah. sleazy undertone to it but it's like mm-hmm. okay no harm done really though it's whatever yeah but that that but l- little do we know this is setting up this character as, a, as another s- sort of subplot for the for the he's,
1: he's got a whole thing which we don't really get to until the uh first like tremors are about to hit because there's i mean i'll just very quickly wrap up this plot because it honestly doesn't amount to much there's a seismological like research group in mm-hmm. the area they've detected some of these smaller tremors and there's one kid there who's like a graduate student who because of this dude's theories, they think, oh, well, we can use this to predict that this much bigger earthquake is coming. And he wants to get that professor in. That professor ends up dying because of one of the smaller tremors. He was, like, installing some equipment, and he got buried alive. It was, uh, so,
0: specifically, it was in a trench at the fission, or the, the lane, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah. he was in the worst possible place to be, properly probably, when an earthquake hits. Yep,
1: yeah, but he ends up dying, and then they the graduate student basically takes it up to the boss and says, like, look, we have evidence that this is probably going to be a bigger quake. And then they do a whole, like, two scenes of trying to play up the politics of it, of, like, but if we give a warning to people, A, there could be mass panic, which could be worse than the earthquake itself, and B, there might not even be an earthquake because this is just a theory. We don't know if that's the case. Well,
0: even even before they tell them, take it to the mayor and all that, there's even mm-hmm. a debate amongst the seismologists working with the kids who are, like, I don't know if we want to tell them this because if we go to them with this warning and it turns out to be right. false, they'll never believe us again. They'll just they'll just take us as a joke. Um, mm-hmm. And if if it's right, then we might cause mass panic. You know that was kind of the debate. But then once to get to the mayor, it's like well we can't tell people because it'll cause too much of a panic. But yeah. they do prepare the the you know the the forces uh, in partic- particular they call in the national guard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which ties which back where, in, yeah. Yeah, to this grocery store guy. So the the radio's saying hey the national guards calling all re- res- reserves into action mm-hmm. kind of thing and he like you know perks up and the next time we see him he's going back into his apartment and this is such a weird like little part of his plot is that yeah, there's thank you there's three bullies that live in his apartment building who pick on him and they like mm-hmm. walk into his apartment they follow him in like when he goes in to get his like gear because like he's you know, uniform out and you know, we see that he's got some weights and stuff and he's got a lot of photos of muscly men. And mm-hmm. the guys come in, they see the photos and throw some homophobic slurs at him, make fun of mm-hmm. him. Um, and then they start throwing things at him as he's walking down the stairs. And all I could think was, you're all adults. Why, why are you acting <laughs> like 12-year-olds? All right, so
1: yes, all of that is weird. And I agree wholesale. But the part that got me the most is, describe that man again in relation to how I would look as him. What exactly
0: did you say? (laughs) He had a mustache and long blonde curly hair. Right. So the moment he goes up into
1: his place, he starts pulling out his outfit, and then we see the bullies walk in. The moment that the bullies walk in, he closes the door, and his hair has now been cut into, like, military, like, straight,
0: flat, nothing there. Not cut, because you see later on it was a wig. Is it a wig? Later on, after he's dead, you see the wigs falling off and his real hair's like there again. Oh, I missed that. Okay. yeah, yeah. Because that threw me for a loop. I was like, why did his hair change? That makes no sense. Don't get me wrong. The cut's very abrupt and it still feels too quick, but it's much better than he cut it all off. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought
1: happened. I was like, that's (laughs) like, there's no way to justify this in the sense of the movie that he cut his hair and straightened it in that period of time. But actually, I kind of think it's even weirder that like, I, I don't think that was intentional. I think that like they added in the wig shot at the end to explain why his hair was different because it doesn't oh, make any sense well, that he would put on a wig for this.
0: I think he had a line when he met up with the other National Guard, or maybe it was with Rosa later on, where he said something about having the appropriate hair for his position. So at the very least, they're acknowledging that it changed because he felt yeah. like he was supposed to have the proper haircut kind of thing.
1: But it just feels like I don't. Why not have that haircut at the beginning? I guess that's the part that bothers me. Why do we have him with curly hair if he was just going to change it anyway?
0: To show how dedicated he is to like morphing into his role of of national guard because th- this guy's hey, got. If you want to give the movie credit, fine. Uh, oh well, yeah, no, absolutely I mean, right. And we'll get to the rest of his stuff after the quake because it, mm-hmm. it 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 goes some places. Uh, yep. Anything else before so- the quake? Well, back on the
1: Miles plot, uh, we see that he set up this whole, like, death ramp thing where he's got a wooden rickety looking like loop-de-loop he goes through and then a circle oh. and then he jumps through a ring of fire
0: yeah i, I laughed though because he has to do two attempts because the first attempt when he goes to the loop-de-loop he just kind of falls yeah. when he goes up to the top bit and i thought that was actually I really thought, funny
1: <laughs> I thought that was that was one of those scenes especially after miles had the um thing with showing off rose's shirt i thought that miles was just going to be the 100 like comedy plot throughout mm. the movie because everything he did was just stupid funny. It was because it, like, I can't tell you how dumb this shot looked of him going around the thing and then just boom, flat on his face. And Sal's just like, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. And he just tries to run in to help. I don't know. It's It, it struck a nerve with me that I'm, I'm <laughs> a bit annoyed they didn't keep it going.
0: Yeah, he was always entertaining. Like When we say this was funny, this is not a complaint that it was, like, ruining the tone. I I could have done yeah. with more of him in the back yeah. half, which and sadly he was kind of missing. Uh, just, just, and for no reason really either. Just, mm-hmm. You just don't see what he's doing most of the time. So, yeah.
1: but then the only other thing is the dam staff, um, where as soon mm. as the first tremor happens, they have emergency protocols that they need to go around and check on stuff. And it's just a pair of them. One of them goes around looking for cracks, one of them goes down an elevator in order to see what's going on in the lower rooms. And when the guy finishes looking for cracks, he doesn't find any. He calls up the elevator to go down to see his guy and it turns out he died down there. It was completely flooded and he drowned and the elevator pulls back up his body. So the lower section of this dam is flooded and everyone's like, well, geez, what could have caused that?
0: I actually completely forgot about that scene, so I'm, I'm glad you brought yeah. it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get to the earthquakes uh, and literally Heston is storming out of the building well, he's ex- well it's, not, it's not an ex-wife yet i suppose <laughs> it's just his wife <laughs> but she's following him and they're outside when the earthquake hits so they hide under his car and, and we see some of the other cars uh, rose is in a movie theater she's went to see a movie uh mm-hmm. a clint eastwood movie uh
1: enough. yeah i couldn't recognize it but i'm sure if you looked at like 1973 or something
0: you'd be able to find it yeah maybe a little older than that just because it was one they could get the rights to but i don't know True. Uh, yeah but um yeah, the chaos ensues, and a lot of it amounts to the camera shaking with them dropping, like, you know, boulders and debris on people. But there are yeah. a couple of bits to point out. Obviously, we mentioned the elevator a bit earlier. The one that really stuck out to me that actually was, and it's funny if they did censor that other thing with the blood spatter to, like, hide something. Because there's a scene mm-hmm. here where they show, like, a pane of glass falling down on someone, and we're, we see it from behind. You know, we don't mm-hmm. see it from the front of the person. But the woman turns round and has, like, shards of glass sticking out of her face. Uh, oh, yeah. And the, the pure fake 70s blood, like, pouring down her face. And I thought, oh, that's <laughs> actually quite uh, gnarly for for this movie. Yeah. It, it felt extreme. It, it, it does a good
1: implication of people dying. Like, you don't really see that much, but just because of all the widespread damage once everything's said and done, you see all the carnage in the streets... it does a good job of implying just how bad this truly was. Add on top of that, the fact that it does go on for literally 10 full minutes.
0: Like it's, it's just nonstop chaos the entire time. Cause it it just starts with like things falling off of buildings. And by things, I mean bricks, slates, Mm. maybe pipes, stuff like that, bits of glass. Uh, It's not Mm. until quite late into the 10 minutes where actual buildings entirely start to crumble or, or start to properly fall over or shake or whatever. Yeah. Uh, So. Oh, there was one line I wanted to bring
1: up just before uh, when we're showing up that Charlton Heston is a engineer. He's a Mm. structural engineer. He specifically is talking to his father-in-law, or no, not his father-in-law, someone who's a client for his company or whatever, and saying, hey, we need to go above and beyond in these codes. Like, it's not just enough to meet code. We've got to go above and beyond because of where we're located. And immediately without even realizing towering inferno was the same year i'm like that sounds awfully familiar
0: hmm. <laughs> yeah it's a very similar character to paul newman's character yeah uh in many ways so <laughs> yeah i mean the destruction is fun like it, it does a lot of things uh we see that uh denise is is outside at the time uh and her kid is like riding his bike at the sort of like where the aqueduct is uh yeah
1: there's like a there's a bridge or something a rickety wooden bridge that he
0: was riding across so he fell down into the aqueduct yeah so that's actually one of the first things we really kind of deal with once we get to the aftermath is that okay she goes looking for him she finds him but there's all these power cables that are now exposed and like you know buzzing around and potentially threatening Mm -hmm. him but he he's knocked unconscious she's trying to help and it's actually Miles and sal driving past to hear cries for help and we get this whole little set piece of them sort of like dangling down the the broken bridge and try to pick them up uh the the big Mm -hmm. dramatic part of it being that water has been intentionally um dumped from the the dam down this aqueduct to try and keep the water levels at a reasonable amount Mm -hmm. but because of that of course she's down there next to these exposed wires and the water's coming down so it's kind of this like will she get pulled out just in time kind of thing and it's an old sequence
1: I, I, it's an all right sequence. I don't think it has like as much tension as it really needs to, but I really appreciate the writing there because it takes these two plots that are completely separate and it intersects them in a very natural way. It makes it feel like, no, they are easing up water. That is something they would do. And this kid just happens to be in the path of the water. So it's, it does a good job of keeping all the plots still crisscrossing, if not allowing them
0: to go parallel with each other. Yeah, and the the water alone, of course, wouldn't be necessarily the worst. Like as long as she was holding on to something, it wouldn't mm-hmm. probably be that bad. It's not coming with that much force. But the fact that there's exposed electricity dangling yeah. around the area is Which, is making it an instant kill.
1: <laughs> I've never I haven't seen downed wires, but I don't believe they jump around like snakes. That seems a bit <laughs> weird to me.
0: I feel like that's such a movie and even video game thing because I've definitely seen that in video games uh, as obstacles you have to get past. So uh, that may just be one of those creative license things for drama purposes.
1: Yeah, you got to life in the you got to show that there's electricity in the wire, and if you put electricity into a person, they shake a lot.
0: So therefore, wires shake a lot.
1: (laughs) Perfect logic. Mm.
0: Yes. So. That's all that. And to be honest, the weird thing about this, the the Miles and Sal stuff, is that basically, once they drive into the main part of the city, which is where George Kennedy's cop character is sort of helping people and Mm -hmm. instructing people to go digging for survivors and things like that, is that Miles says, I'll go look for your sister, and then he just disappears from the movie until a couple of quick stunt moments right towards the very end when the dam bursts. And I'm like, "Okay, he Mm -hmm. was just gone for ages. Uh sal is just kind of around i don't even think so i think he's just there's they
1: specifically kind of employ him because he's got a working car they're like okay you're gonna help move some people around but that's basically all he does for the rest of the movie
0: yeah but even then like once george kennedy teams up with charlton heston and they're driving around with survivors like you forget that Mm -hmm. sal ever existed to be honest yeah Uh, because his
1: role has been filled again so he's not even needed Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's good. Oh, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I think now's a good time to just talk about the Rosa and uh, grocery store guy plot. Yeah. Well,
1: in that case, I'll bring up this point real quick because there isn't a lot to it. Um, The Charlton Heston's character goes back into the building to try to save his father in law and just see other people as well. Mm -hmm. And the father in law has essentially taken charge. He's being the hero, but they have the stairway essentially blocked off nobody can get down so they have to lower people to the next floor down via like an opening in the side of the building by an office chair and pantyhose and (laughs) it's a whole thing but there's smoke coming in
0: and the fire hose let's not forget the fire hose hose. that's there as well
1: um but yeah smoke is coming into the floor and it ends up being that the father-in-law Breathes in too much, he passes out, and Charlton Heston
0: has to go save him. which oh, he does successfully. We find out when they get to a doctor that he's had a heart attack. Uh, that too, he's been overexerting himself. Yeah, so and he has an older dude as well. So I mean, it doesn't—it's mm-hmm. not surprising. But uh, Heston—he's Charlton
1: whole... Heston's father-in-law. Yeah. He's got
0: to be like eighty. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, Ava Gardner is an appropriate age for Heston as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, he has to be old. So. Yeah, there's a big whole heroic thing where Heston here and like the fire hose is like falling apart as he's climbing back down, so he almost you know falls to his death, but doesn't obviously. Yeah. Uh, now I want I like to talk about the the grocery store guy because yes. I think in some ways his stuff with Rosa is kind of the most interesting in terms of. I wouldn't say movie. kind of. I think it is. <laughs> I think
1: that is the most interesting plot in the whole movie.
0: So uh, Rosa's side of it is that she's just kind of like wandering around scared after everything's went down. She's on her own. And she sees like a, a donut shop or cafe or something. Uh, the yeah. windows are smashed, and she's like, "Oh, there's some donuts there." And she's clearly hungry, so she sort of just jumps in and grabs a donut. And mm-hmm. okay, could you technically class that as looting? Maybe you could, but it's a bit... well, it's it's important
1: to note that there's a bunch of other people running around who are looting, yeah, who
0: are just carrying stuff around.
1: And yes. she she walks in, she sees the donut, she steals one, and then also the cash register right next to her is open.
0: Yeah. And clearly, like, I'm not gonna say she's not tempted. She clearly is, and she probably would have just taken the money if she could you know if she wasn't caught. But yeah. a National Guardsman sort of sees her in there and says, Hey, and she's like, Oh, I'm just hungry, I'm just taking a donut. And that's technically true, she hadn't taken any money yet. And he's like, Sorry, but if we suspect you, we have to round you up as part of the the, the looters, you know, right? And we know that grocery store guy's part of this team, like walking around doing this. Mm-hmm. So when they assemble with everyone. And they've got their, their... I don't even say prisoners. Just, you know, litters are just kind of sitting around. They're not even, like, handcuffed or anything. Yeah. Uh, grocery store guy comes in. He sees Rosa. And Rosa's actually relieved to see him, thinking, oh, he likes me. He'll, he'll get mm-hmm. me off, you know, scot-free. He'll, he'll just say, let her go. And he goes up to the other guy, and he's like, hey, I know her. She's a friend. Can you, you know, hand her over to my custody? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he sort of takes her arm, and he walks her over somewhere, and then instead of, like, letting her go, which she was hoping for here, he takes her into, like, a just, a, you know, a, a store or something, a, a building that's, like, half damaged, and yeah. sits her in here and says she has to stay there, and, uh, you know, she, she's she been licking and whatnot. And every time we cut back to this, it's very clear that he is using this situation to just control her and sort of keep her as his prisoner. Um, mm. And there's a scene in the middle of all this where the three bullies from his building show up Yes, and this is this (laughs) is where this plot immediately was
1: like grabbing my attention because up to this point i'm like ah whatever it's a weird little thing but the moment these bullies came in i was like
0: oh all right what are we doing here they've been caught looting right some of the other guys have caught them looting and they've got like a suitcase full of necklaces and stuff like that it's like okay it's Mm -hmm. clear what you've been doing and they're like, "Hey, hey, get you know, buddy. Like, we were just joking around earlier, and you, know, I've been telling them to stop, you know, kill it, and not do as much bad things. We've all realized gay jokes aren't cool, guys, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So he throws some gay jokes back at them, and he jokes that they're going to have to shoot them for what they've done, which obviously, like, that's not true. The National mm-hmm. Guard aren't supposed to just shoot people, you know, in cold blood. But he then he sort of laughs and says he's just joking, and they all laugh a little bit." And then he just points the gun and shoots them all anyway. And it's yeah. clear that he is a psychopath and that he basically has been waiting for the authority to do whatever he wants. And that's why he's mm-hmm. excited to be a National Guardsman. It, it like It's like, okay, this is interesting. We have a villain now. And I yep. think because of this and because of the jeopardy that Rose is now in, where she's clearly feeling uncomfortable when he comes to see her and talk to her and he's saying things like calling her beautiful and you know, just all this really creepy behavior and mm-hmm. she's you know trying to act nice about it because she knows that if she doesn't he's probably gonna snap or freak out it instantly felt like one the darkest plot in the movie but mm-hmm. also it made me care more about her character than anyone else in the film because it felt like she was in this real jeopardy with a villain who could be taken down and i think one of the big moments that really sold me on that feeling is towards the end of it when Uh, George Kennedy and Charlton Heston have teamed up and they're driving with some like injured people back to like one of the base areas Mm -hmm. and they come by this crossroads where they're at and she sees there's people out there and she runs out yelling for help like hey this guy's nuts please help me like it's the
1: same cop that she met before in the bar yeah he knows her
0: yeah yeah um and yeah, I think this is actually right after as well, that the last time he talked to her, he was sort of like trying to like say, hey, it's warm tonight, take off that jacket. And he's he's trying to like, I think actually right before they show up, he actually goes to rip her shirt as if he's about to maybe rape yeah. her. Like we're actually at well, that point.
1: Yeah, he, he she specifically says, please don't hurt me. And he's kind of like taken aback. He's like, what? No, I'm not that kind of person. But she immediately follows up with like, oh, you know, I just meant, like, role-play-wise. Like, I'm not into BDSM stuff sort of thing. Like, she's trying to basically keep him calm and happy long enough to figure out what in the hell she should do here. And as soon as um the whole scene with the Charlton Heston and all that comes up, and they start driving away again, all of the other National Guardsmen are like,
0: this guy's nuts. We're going to go get somebody higher up the food chain to take care yeah. of him. And I actually think one of the most powerful moments in the movie is because he's pointing a gun at Heston and George Kennedy, they are they getting back in the truck and kind of slowly backing away and looking really guilty that they're not helping her mm-hmm. was actually kind of effective. And like, they clearly want to help her, but like, they're outnumbered here. They've all got guns. But of course, they stop the truck like down the road and Kennedy gets his gun out and he's like, I'm going back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it even without knowing that it was coming, I kind of felt like it was going to do that. Oh, for I, sure. I felt yeah. like there
0: was no way they weren't going to do the big hero moment and save her. They had to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, sure enough. Like he, he comes in and, and shoots the guy. If I actually, I think this is where he rips her shirt is because he comes back in to see her after mm. he thinks they're all, they're all gone. And that's when he sort of makes his sort of full attack, if you will. Uh, right. And Kennedy shoots him and uh, sh- she's, you know, obviously distraught, hugs him. Uh, the stank for, I think, I, I don't know if it's actually kind of like either tasteless that the movie started with her being just like a, a joke for boobs, right? That was like literally her introduction was we're going to joke about her having boobs and that she's hot and then mm. having this plot where it makes her more human by having her sort of show the effect of someone who is just, you know, objectifying her and is looking at her like a sex object. I don't know if that's, either kind of smart and kind of nuanced or if it's just kind of tasteless to start with that and then go into this plot. I don't actually know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it feels like one of those things where like it fully depends on whether or not it was intentionally written because if it wasn't, it's just kind of a happy accident that it's like, oh no, you kind of made a point here about objectification and whatnot. But if the writers were not thinking that, then I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think that Mario Puzo is a smart enough writer that most likely he knew what he was doing uh, there but it's it's again the 70s it's a different time i'm not sure
0: yeah i was leaning towards maybe not which is kind of sad but then you, you reminded me of it was puzzle who wrote it and i was like yeah, yeah he does seem like he's talented i don't know if, if he would but then, then again you know godfather's mostly about men <laughs> so... i was gonna say
1: godfather's not actually not a uh feminist piece until yeah. you hit part three and then it gets a little bit confusing
0: um yeah so but either way though it ends up being perhaps the most interesting part of the movie because Mm -hmm. and i think it's maybe just because it felt like it felt interesting to have an outright kind of villain in one of these movies
1: yeah i mean you've always had like the dick you've always had the one who like is going against the grain or is self-serving or whatever like that but this is the first guy who it's not even self-serving it is actively sabotaging other people because there would specifically said like hey this is the only road for major parts of the city to be able to get to the hospital and he's like screw it they're gonna have to find another way we've locked this area down well we're not letting anyone through
0: i think what i like about it is not only just is he a villain in the jeopardy that's created by him holding the women captive is Mm -hmm. an actual decent bit of tension but i think i like the fact that this is the first time in one of one of these studio like disaster movies you know between this towering Inferno, Poseidon adventure all the big ones that we've we've done this is the first one where I think there's a character who's actually happy about the disaster, and you know he he's mm. he 's relishing that he 's getting this authority that he feels important now he 's getting to shoot whoever he wants he 's getting to victimize whoever he wants, like yeah someone who's actually into the fact that this is all happening i don 't think we've had that in any of these at least the big ones, certainly
1: yeah, no, I mean nothing's really jumping obviously we had um uh, skyjacking, but I think it makes sense that the guy who was hijacking the plane would be happy about that. Yeah, he's but...
0: already. So, yeah, he's. all That's just. Yeah, that's what not a is. natural disaster.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah, I think you're right.
0: If anything, that they should have made more of the back half of the movie about like him putting more people in danger. Like, though no, this is mm-hmm. this is the main thing now. After the quake happens, he's the main danger now. But you know, yeah,
1: they could have done a, like a whole subplot of like basically you know there's a martial law enacted the national guard is in charge but what happens when they go too far in their things do the people of the city do these neighbors all come together and stand up against them sort of thing
0: it's kind of like yeah it's hitting on some really cool ideas but it doesn't you know it sort of ends before it has a chance to go super deep with it uh same Mm -hmm. same thing earlier when we're talking about like the politics of like what to do if we think this might happen it's like that's actually a really interesting subject to explore, but it's only a couple of quick scenes. It's not really something to delve into yeah. all that much. It brings up some interesting topics,
1: but it doesn't fully explore them enough, which, again, I think is an issue of they have so many different characters with so many different plots running that, like, if we explored these things as deeply as we want, we wouldn't have characters like Miles. We wouldn't have characters like uh, the Denise and her son sort of thing because they don't really fit into those plots as easily.
0: Yeah, Denise and the son are kind of like, that's what Heston's worried about. He wants to go and find mm-hmm. them. And when he gets his wife and the father-in-law to this mall that's been used as a makeshift shelter and hospital, uh, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, I'm going to go find my girlfriend. <laughs> and the wife's like, what? Really? Is she more important than me? And he's like, sorry. <laughs> he drives off. I'm not going to say yes. Bye. <laughs> um, and they do the whole thing where she's actually in the truck that's been driven by Sal, towards the... Mm -hmm. Because she ends up at the mall that's been used while he's driving away to her place to try and find her. Uh, And he ends up just bumping into George Kennedy and they end up teaming up to to help a bunch of sick people.
1: I love Kennedy essentially. He's like, I'm commandeering your vehicle. I have sick people. You've got a big enough truck that can carry them. And then Heston's like, okay, but it's a manual. And he's like, all right, you can
0: drive. (laughs) It also says something like it's custom. And he has like three different... Three reverse gears and eight
1: forward ones. And so he, like, fumbles with the controls for a second. He's like, all right, you're an ambulance driver now.
0: Right. Every car I've ever been in, and every car in the UK is manual, um, mm-hmm. it's always six. There's six gears, and the sixth one's reverse. There's one through five in reverse. That's... that's. Yep. I, I don't know. What's the three different reverse gears? I don't understand. <laughs> the, the three different reverse
1: gears is the writers saying... How can we justify this cop still needing him
0: around? And there you go. Because all I could think is why would you want to go faster in reverse? Like it doesn't make any sense. That actually
1: would have been an awesome scene. That would have been they're like outrunning something and he's got to drive mm. in reverse the whole time. They could have set up a cool thing there with the three
0: reverse gears. But no, we don't get that. No. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, uh, the big thing is there's an aftershock coming um, and it's when everyone's in the mall already Uh, a lot of the people in the mall die when the aftershock hits because the roof collapses, but a lot of them are in the sub-levels, which mm. is where the wife and Denise are uh, with the boy. so all the important yeah. characters are all, all fine, basically But they're, they're
1: fine, but they're all trapped now,
0: yes, they're all trapped and they're running out of air and if the dam bursts, they're going to be flooded, so Mm. And a surprising number of people are like, "Well, there's nothing we can do." And Heston's like, "No, wait a minute! Like, wait, th- th- there's definitely going to be a place we can cut into here." Everybody, hold on! I played football in college. <laughs> Let me take a stab at it. He says he knows the building because he's looked at the you know the plans and stuff with part of his work. So he goes, mm. he finds a good spot to to dig in with a jackhammer, and you know they make a hole. They start getting people out. And, yeah, you know, at this point, we're kind of ramping up to the finale of the movie. Uh, there's a couple of important little beats here. One is that when he comes through the hole for the first time, he sees Denise and instantly hugs her. And then after a few seconds, notices his wife's watching with this sad look on her face and gets yeah. kind of awkward about it. Uh, the big ending to this, though, is that everyone gets out of the, the mall. But, of course, to get out into the sewer, that's where they've dug in f- through to mm-hmm. get in. Uh, and they're climbing up the sewer and they think everything's fine. There's no need to rush. But of course, this is when the dam bursts and yep. the water's like flooding down the hills. It's going through the sewer. So they're kind of like against the time here again. And the end of the movie. The, the,
1: the whole time, also, the whole time, they can hear this rumble. They can yes. hear something coming up the sewer. They know they don't have
0: very long. So a few red shirts get washed away. But the big thing is that Ava Gardner's Remy gets washed away and she's yelling for help and Heston's on the ladder, he's fine and Denise is at the top of the manhole looking down and he sort of looks up and basically gives a look that says I I can't not try so he goes swimming after his wife and Hmm. you know, you don't see them again so there's kind of an implication that they die and I was convinced, I was convinced that (laughs) in a minute's time there's going to be a shot at like a, a sewer exit where they like wake up at the exit and they're fine they're okay yeah but no 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 the movie just implies they're dead and then the credits start rolling
1: <laughs> yeah they,
0: they, they, they
1: have denise watch charlton heston be washed away by the current and then she just walks away from the manhole cover looking sad and it's like okay i know this beat i've seen this beat this is the everything is dour but the hero survives in the end and then Nope, this is Poseidon adventure. The hero's dead. That's just how it happens. So I'm actually shocked at this ending, all things considered.
0: It's like, I get the heroic side of like, I can't just let her die. But Mm. it it, it does feel kind of strange that in the moment, even as he decides to do it, and I didn't know he was going to die. I just thought, oh, he's going to save his wife and he's putting himself at risk. Mm -hmm. To me, the reaction on Denise's face was disappointment, like, oh, he's picking his wife over me, and all I could think was, that's not picking the wife for, like, romance and, like, living happily ever after. That's just him saying, I can't just let her die. There's a a pretty big gap between them. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think that might be either a directing or an actor's choice, because I think it makes sense to be sad in that moment. It makes sense to be like, oh, this man that I could have had a future with is now dead. Like, there's a reason to be upset for that, but yes. you're right; it does come across as like, "Ah, shucks, I guess he never loved me at all." It's like, no, dude, like he's he's trying to have the big hero moment. That's totally different.
0: Yeah, and it's just not a sort of thing where you, you could say, "Oh, it's got balls for doing it," but it just it the ending just kind of comes off weird. Like it doesn't feel mm.
1: <sighs> well. It's it's not helped by the fact that Charlton Heston's character dies. We have the cops still climbing up the ladder to get out, and then. We don't even comment on the fact that Charlton Heston jumped in and say that. Like, that's not even brought up. Instead, we have one of the doctors who was helping people out throughout this movie walking up to the cop and saying, like, you know, this used to be a great city. And the cop goes, yeah. And then they just look at how everything's been destroyed. It's it's not I don't think it's a bad ending on its own, but it's so weird that it's just completely not talking about the fact that Charlton Heston's well, character yeah, just I,
0: sacrificed himself. I, I, I'm not talking about the final moment, the the, the dour moment of like, look at how bad the city is. Like that makes sense mm. to me. I'd expect that, regardless. Yeah. I think w- what I'm getting at though is that the dramatic choice to have him try and save the wife. While I get the sort of the complete ethical decision he's making in the moment, that character throughout this entire movie. Had no redeeming qualities, so mm-hmm. I think as an audience member, all you feel when he goes to save her is like, "Nah, don't bother. <laughs> like, it's not. She's not worth it."
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So, I, so it I doesn't, agree. It doesn't feel like he sacrifices like that noble to the audience because we don't like her that much. <laughs> so.
1: I- I fully agree with you from an audience perspective, but I think that from a character perspective, if he saw, because obviously they could have had the wife be washed away instantly and he never had a chance in hell, but they specifically gave her time. They specifically had her be able to grab onto the wall. I think if they kept that moment in, but then still had Heston be like, sorry, honey, I'm I'm moving on and he still climbs up. I think that would have made his character less redeemable that he's willing to let this person die. Even if it would have seemed hopeless, I think that as soon as they paused and gave her a second of she's still alive, he had to go and do it.
0: Yeah. Or, or maybe, like, he, he, he goes, he's about to make the jump, and then she gets washed away anyway or something, and it's like, okay, well, there's no point now. Like, yeah, kind of thing. I,
1: or even, even like, the ex or not, we keep saying ex-wife, but even if the wife was, um like... You know, given the thumbs up before falling into the tornado sort of thing. Where it's like, hey, stay back. I'm going to die here. And like giving her approval of this new relationship. That could have worked as well.
0: Yeah. I I, I just don't think that emotionally the ending between these two characters makes a whole lot of sense given what the movie's done. If anything, it feels like maybe some scenes were cut out where it set this up, this choice and like why we'd feel okay that he's trying to do this or something.
1: Yeah, it feels like there might have been a conversation after he gets in, after he drills the hole and he sees them and he immediately hugs Denise that maybe he talks to his wife at some point and they come to like some level of an understanding with each other.
0: It feels like that. It feels like maybe she gave the approval for like a divorce Mm -hmm. and like to go and be happy. And yeah. that would maybe justify at the end why he has to go save her to to the audience. I mean, because
1: yeah, he... because if she gave him a chance at yeah. life. He should be willing to give her the same.
0: Yeah, but it's not. That's not there though. So I just I'm like, he sh- should have let her die.
1: <laughs> yeah, that woman is now practically twice widowed. Great job.
0: <laughs> that's true. She just got over the last husband she lost. Now the new love of her life's dead. Yep uh that said though he was a lot lot older than her she should probably get someone a bit closer to her age somebody who doesn't know the term (laughs) satyr uh that's a funny like mid-credits scene if we find out that that's just a pickup line she starts talking about oh everyone tells me i'm an infomaniac but i'm not really an infomaniac stare she goes
1: she, she sees miles drive up on his motorcycle be like oh you know i've got a scene in hollywood whenever we rebuild it and uh I'm a bit of a nymphomaniac if you know what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> oh. Uh do you wear a, a medium-sized t-shirt? Because I could use another lady. <laughs> You're perfect. What's your size?
1: <laughs> also, we didn't even talk about the fact. Um, as soon as the first earthquake hits, Miles like track that he makes just falls apart. Yeah, and it his just falls entire over. like his whole plot basically with that sequence wraps up with like,
0: damn, I hope evil Knievel's in town and he's dead from all of this. Well, that's stuff. fine. I wasn't expecting like anything to like continue with the track. I just yeah. thought he would have to use his stunt-driving skills to save someone or something later, and that would be the payoff to like who his character is. But it right. never comes up. The only thing that you ever see him again, honestly, is when the dam bursts, there's a couple of quick shots of him like racing down a road as water's coming behind him. And this is the moment where I felt like, oh, it feels like you had multiple scenes cut before this point because oh, we've yeah. not seen you in like an hour, practically. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, I think that's worth mentioning. Yeah.
1: It's also worth bringing up that the uh the dam workers like we mentioned the two from the beginning they keep coming up like we keep on getting scenes of them like checking out the dam and making decisions and doing all this stuff and i think the final scene that we even have with them is like they've figured out it's like all right job well done we've done all we can do hopefully this will stand up and then one of the guys goes to close the door but it's now like off its access so the door can't actually close and he's like well, that's not good in a solid concrete dam. And then like two minutes later the whole thing just explodes
0: anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very all very strange. I mean mm-hmm. George kind of gave Rosa a dog to cheer her up, so she's got a dog. <laughs> that was
1: immediately after she was nearly <laughs> raped, and then the guy was shot right next to her. He she's like hugging him, just trying to like get some sort of normalcy and he's like, How about a puppy? <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah, sure. Rosa just needs that right now.
0: Yeah, Well, that was actually what I was saying earlier, is I thought it was weird that Rosa, her brother, and Miles didn't get to, like, all be in that scene at the end when they're all standing around. Just just to see them reunite Mm -hmm. so that they know each other's okay kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Because... Honestly, I
1: don't even know why our final moment... Obviously, he's the last main character, give or take, but I don't know why our final moment was with the cop. Like... He didn't really feel like he had a huge storyline here. He started out as a cop who wanted to do good, and he ended as a cop who did good. Like, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like he really changed as a character to the point where when he's looking at all of this stuff, he's like, yeah, no, this was our city, and I should have seen it better than what it was before. But like, it always felt like he was trying to do his best the whole way through.
0: Yeah, he doesn't really have much of an arc. Like he he has a character because he does have a personality that you can describe. Mm-hmm. He does have clear like ideals and how he is, and there's even some gags with him. So he he does have personality, but he just yeah. doesn't have a story. And I think that's the difference.
1: Yeah, because like going back to Towering Inferno, when that movie ended, it made like this point of like, oh, these skyscrapers, they're built too tall, and it's dangerous for anybody to be around. Like that's something that needs to be talked about. This one, they talk about the skyscraper thing. And I think it's even Charlton Heston who says like, damn them. Why did we build these 40 story buildings? They shouldn't be built around here. But that said, like 45 minutes before the end of the movie. And then by the time you hit the end, it's just about how the entire city is now gone. It is a burned out husk. It doesn't feel like there was anything that could have actually prevented this. There was no amount of planning that could have saved
0: this city. (laughs) You know, thinking about this now, it's making me realise that Tower Inferno was set in San Francisco, which is even more earthquake-prone than Los Mm -hmm. Angeles is. And I'm like, what happens to that huge building when the earthquake's hit? Yeah, it's done. It's gone. Uh,
1: But luckily, that was already a month before the building was opened, so...
0: I, I do actually appreciate that you see, like, Heston have a... He's got, like, a model of the tech that, like is or at least it shows how a building can be earthquake proof and i've actually seen this in action there's some videos online of like japan when there's an earthquake and you can see the buildings kind of rocking side to side which looks scary and i like i would be scared shitless if i was in one of those buildings when it was doing that but they're designed to do that and that's what keeps them safe in an earthquake is they're designed to be able to sort of like absorb the the movement and the shock and all that um so, but you see, Heston's got this little model that basically shows that uh, on, to scale. And it's just this little yeah. like, structure, and you can see it waving back and forward. He's got like a little, th- like a, a device at the bottom that simulates, relative to its size, like different magnitudes of earthquakes. And it's like, hey, this is showing you it's safe, and we have to start putting this in all the buildings so that you keep them safe. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how much help it does when even the one-story buildings seem to be shattered at the end of this. But yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. At the end of the movie, it doesn't feel like. If even the tiniest buildings are already taken down, it doesn't matter. Like, you couldn't have planned for this. In fact, I think they explicitly said at one point that this thing was, like, a 9.9 on -hmm. the Richter scale, which is ridiculously huge. Like, there's nothing they could have done, especially if they wanted to build higher than three stories.
0: Is it possible that the smaller buildings only went because the bigger buildings dropped stuff on top of them? (laughs)
1: Honestly, I'd say so based off because that's the thing is that the end credits are kind of just like a slow pan over the entire city like you get to see all the stuff going on and a lot of what is shown is fire like there's a lot of buildings on fire here, which it makes sense that, you know, these smaller buildings, they may not have been damaged as like, you know, the same way like a skyscraper would be like fundamentally unsafe to stand anymore, but there are things like gas lines that would be interrupted. They would catch on fire and they would destroy the building in other ways. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just looked it up, uh, 9.0 to a 9.9 on the Richter scale. Uh, it says near total destruction, severe damage or collapse to all buildings. And it happens one to three times per century. So got pretty unlucky there guys.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that's, uh, Hope hope for the best for the fictional version of Los Angeles and yep. Earthquake. Um yeah, the the movie it's still a reasonable watch. It kinda of falls into that interesting space where it's not completely functional in that it kind of whiffs some of the, 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 the things that it's doing and it, it brings some interesting ideas or topics but doesn't necessarily explore them fully, like we said. But mm. it's a very easy watch because it is a lot of big stars and it is a studio production and it's got, you know, the good miniatures and even some nice matte paintings because obviously when you ever get a big wide shot where you can see a lot of the city being destroyed it's you know, it's a painting it's optical effects it's uh, yeah. stuff like that and that stuff looks good it's it's, it's funny to see um mm-hmm. so i would i would describe this as a very easy watch that i i would recommend as a sunday afternoon like if you want to put something on well sure you're doing something it's a pretty easy thing to watch i would say to do that with
1: I would agree, and I actually think that it would benefit from it not having your full attention, because like <laughs> I said, if if you try to get really invested in these characters, a lot of their plots kind of don't end up satisfyingly finishing. I think if you're just casually giving it some attention, you tune in and you're seeing like, oh, now they're doing this big set piece, or oh, they're doing this. It's not something that you need to like pay that much attention to figure out how they got here. You just assume the earthquake caused it, and that's about all you need to know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have all the payoffs that it should by any stretch. It's better than, say, Avalanche, because at least it remembers that some characters know each other and will go looking for each other, so that's important. But It doesn't kill off all of its cast.
1: A lot of them, but not all of them. Yeah, enough that we can still have some people at the final scene. Mm.
0: All right, I think we're ready to rate Earthquake. So uh, what are you giving us a 10 on the Richter scale? (laughs) I was going to make
1: the joke. How dare you take that?
0: (laughs) I suck it.
1: Uh, right. well, the the earthquake itself may have been a 9.9, but I'm going significantly lower here. I think this is above average, but looking at the other movies we've done, this is definitely beneath Towering Inferno. So I think overall this is going to be a 6 for me.
0: I agree. 6 is is, is what I would give it as well. Mm. Uh, Perfectly watchable, easy time not mad i watched it by any stretch but yeah mm. it's, it's nothing special it's just sort of i think it's, it's definitely the like the oh maybe i shouldn't say this because it, it may actually be worth us doing like a ranking of all the disaster movies from the 70s once we've done mm. maybe the third season and just being like okay this is this is the top 10 kind of here's thing here's how
1: it all comes out
0: yeah uh so I, I was about to start kind of ranking half of them to make a point well but i'll just leave th- it
1: If you want a kind of middle ground to that, does it make the cut? Eh, It doesn't make the cut. I would argue cutting it close. I think that this is a textbook definition of, like you said, easy Sunday watching. It's not something that's bad, but it's not something that I wouldn't put effort into either.
0: Is that good enough for cutting it close? I I guess it probably is.
1: I mean, the other cutting it close we had this season was Juggernaut. So...
0: Yeah, okay. I, I'd say... Juggernaut was a bit better than this, though, I would say. Yeah, I'd say so.
1: But I also don't feel like it's a cut from the collection level of, like, bad. It's just...
0: Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll concur yeah. with that. All right. Cutting it close. Straight six. All right. Well, uh, I did say at the start that we do some bonus shows over in Patreon, so uh, I'll tell you what those are. Every month, a Patreon, all patrons get the Criterion cut, where me and David review a movie from the Criterion collection. Uh, you know, recently we've done things like *Diabolique*, we've done Kurosawa movies, you know, a whole bunch of different, different interesting things. Um, mm. And then at the five dollar tier and up, you can get access to the second bonus show that me and David do, which is *Extra Reels*, which is the opposite of that show, where we review some of the worst things of all time. Sometimes they're so bad they're very entertaining. Sometimes they're just so bad that they're torture but hey uh you know uh we, we've done things like mac and me on that mm-hmm. we've done neil breen movies we've done miami connection it's lots of wonderful things. and
1: if if you sign up for next months we're doing one of the all-time greats we don't know which one yet but we're doing one of the all-time greats
0: yes because it's a patreon vote but yes if mm-hmm. you want to support stuff get bonuses as well as other bonus stuff that i've even mentioned for other shows Uh, Go check out patreon.com slash mailfuzzTV. It helps out a bunch if you do. So thank you very much for joining us, everyone. Next time on the show, it should have been a week off because officially we take weeks off between seasons. However, very last minute, and by last minute, I mean last week at the time of recording, Sony decided to push forward a release date. (laughs) So we have to go straight into the next season next week. So that we're on time for the new movie coming out. So starting next week is the brand new season of Collector's Cut. And that is Ghostbusters.
1: I'm pumped for Ghostbusters Uh in a general sense. Uh I'm not going to say I'm not. But, like, (laughs) Sony doesn't need to give me more reasons to hate them. (laughs)
0: That's fair. That is absolutely fair. Uh, It's just... Typically movie release dates are locked in, in and nice in advance. So them mm-hmm. pushing it such a or even pushing it, sorry, bringing it forward such yeah, a short it. notice was uh, surprising. I
1: I know that we should be blaming WB because the only reason Ghostbusters moved is because Godzilla took its place and they're like we have no way of dealing with that. So we're just going to come out a week earlier and try to make a bit of money. But I'm going to blame Sony 100% here
0: yeah they could have delayed it which yeah might have been better depending on when they delayed it to so especially because it's called frozen
1: empire and you're putting it out in spring it's never (laughs) gonna work guys just put it in summer so that way you can have like the contrast going on
0: Mm -hmm. anywho that's next time on collector's cut thank you very much for joining Mm. us we always appreciate it keep watching movies and if you can get it It's always nice to have Diplomatic Immunity!